This is Mission Disco, a conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. We are your DJs for this conversation. Welcome back to the next episode of Mission Disco. I'm not sure what uh, month it is or what year it is. Uh, You're probably thinking the same, (laughs) but it's... uh, Good to be back. I think we may have missed uh, last week, but we're back to record uh, now. Um, we're still on Zoom, so looking at a screen as we chat. Um, I hope you're keeping well and keeping safe and uh, managing through this time, learning lots of new things. Um, Brian, how are you getting on with um, adapting? Are you doing okay? Yeah, I was actually in in you know the US for a couple of weeks, so I'm. I'm You're in quarantine. I'm kind of quarantined back again. Although I did get a COVID test, you know, on my way back, uh, just because I wanted to reassure all my Irish friends. But I'm still, I'm still gonna quarantine as best I can. But I was negative, so it's good. Be happy. I got the antibody test too, so apparently I've never had it. So I'm clean, Simon. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, it's good to chat. Um, haven't talked face to face for a long time. Um, yeah. In this, uh, I was going to say webinar, but in this, uh, what's it called? Podcast. That's all. Over That's, your mind. That's all you're doing these days. <laughs> in this, you're becoming a pro, dude. I'm watching you. I'm kind of amazed. <laughs> although, although we were all joking because you have this like serious Zoom face. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> <laughs> when you're not talking, you get this like stern, scary. Simon face. I don't know. Is that, do you use that with your kids? Like when you're upset with them? Cause we're, we're all terrible. It's weird. You have a big discussion. <clears throat> I think it's the room I'm in is quite bright. So and my eyes are very small anyway. Like they don't even open very wide. That's so it when it's bright, they close even more. Um, I think it's probably concentrating on other stuff as well. Maybe. I don't know. Scary zoom face. Yeah. That's a good one. You do have a scary zoom face. I'm going to take a screenshot next time and then show up. Show it back to you. We'll make a meme out of it somehow. That'd be really good, really helpful. <clears throat> it's concentration. Well, let's just call it concentration. That's it. Anyway, there was a link to a webinar there. Um, we've done, yeah, we've done a few webinars which have been uh, good. It's been great to have conversations with people, hear new ideas, and how people are getting on with a new world. The last webinar we did was the shaping of what's to come, and we talked a little bit about where the church was at at the moment, what was coming next. Um, you had yourself on, Brian, and then also Ruth Garvey-Williams from Vox and Belinda from Ignite. Um, we were talking about a little bit about how the church may come out of this, what might look different, how we may adapt. Um, so I thought it would be helpful maybe just to have a discussion about some of the stuff that we talked about in that, and then some of our ideas maybe of what mission and church might look like coming out of that. I think when we did the webinar back in, or the podcast back in uh, April, everything was a little bit all over the place. It was really hard to, to, to see what was coming. And I think with some of the government uh, guidelines and the, the pathways um, over the whole of the island, Ireland, it's slightly uh, easier maybe to work out how we may adapt and what we might do as those changes happen. So maybe just on one or two of the things you said, Brian, in the uh, webinar were quite helpful. You talked about uh, a little bit about New Zealand and visiting New Zealand and talking about um, after the earthquake and um, people um, deciding what they would rebuild. Would you fill us in a little bit on that for maybe those who didn't hear the webinar, just that story and what you were saying around that? I find it quite helpful analogy to think about how we might rebuild a church. 
Yeah, it was just fascinating to be in a place that was so kind of reshaped by, well, a disaster, you know, and and coming, you know, showing up there nine years later and seeing the creativity that came out of that, um, the the rethinking, the reframing. So that's, of course, I wasn't there for the trauma of it, you know, the the destructiveness of it. But, you know, being able to fast forward and see, wow, when given, you know, essentially what I said is, you know, you're, you're given this big pile of insurance money to rebuild your old building, whether it's a church or a library or a school or your home, you know, what would you do? What would you, what would you rebuild? And, you know, we, our future is in, is in God's hands, you know, his sovereign love for us will prevail. And so, you know, that that's not to minimize the the struggles that we're going through now, but it's to say that we can think, we can dream, like, what would you, what would you rebuild? And, you know, what, what, what would the floor plan look like of your home if you could rebuild it, if you could remake it? you know, because to me, I just think even if you love your home or love your church or love your local library or pub or whatever, there might be something about it that you don't like or something that one room that isn't quite big enough or, or one room that's sort of strangely placed or, or just your own, your own style of living. Uh, You know, you want more windows or, you want more access to the garden or you, you want a bigger kitchen because you like to cook it. It's just, it's just, what would you change? I mean, that's, that's the, the I guess the thought experiment that Christchurch was for me was just thinking, uh, what would we do if the whole, if the whole of our sort of systems were turned to rubble um, and money was no object to rebuild what and how would we rebuild? So it's good. I think it's good to think about your church systems uh, or your ministry systems or even your family systems as a floor plan, you know, as a blueprint. Um, and, you know, if, if it was, if change was possible, what would you do? What would you do differently? So the point I made, which I, I don't know if, if you want to go into this, but the point I made was that it has something to do with repentance, you know, that, that actually we should look back. We shouldn't just make these changes um, disconnected from our spiritual lives, from our relationship with God. But we should think, okay, Lord, what what about that previous system or structure or floor plan or whatever, however you want to frame it, maybe wasn't pleasing you, you know, and or maybe you were speaking to us and we weren't hearing it, or you were speaking to us and we just didn't feel like we could make that change, you know, because that was part of what came up in the discussion. I think not just not just stuff stuff I said, but stuff Ruth was saying too, that this is a moment where people realize, okay, we need to we can make changes. I mean, changes, I mean, you and I have been working, Simon, with, with, with church leaders for a while, and it's just really hard to make changes in a church system. You know, even, even if they want to, the will is there. You know, the, 
the desire is there, the, even the vision of what you might want it to be. But man, there's just all these obstacles. And some of them are people. Some of them are, are just the way things are done. Some of them are theology. Um, and suddenly we're in a moment of like uncontested change where you can do it. And I, and I was saying, I'm, I am saying, there may not be another moment like this in our lifetime. Yes. It probably won't be in our lifetimes. Another moment where change will be this available to us. You know, I wouldn't say easy because change is never easy, but um, you know, less obstacles. Less yeah, obstacles. I, th I think that was a really helpful statement, the moment of uncontested change. I think it was really helpful to think about it like that. Um, and I assume, just going back to your example of um, New Zealand, I'd imagine there were still some people who, although they were given the insurance money to go and rebuild, rebuilt exactly the same thing that was already there with the same faults and same problems. Whereas you're saying there is that opportunity. And yeah, you're right, change isn't, isn't necessarily easier, but there is uh, more uh, possibilities um, now um, to do that. And I think that line about the, um, it being a spiritual question, not just a tactical question, I think it's very easy to go, well, like here's the government guidelines, we can do this, this, and this, so let's just do that until we get back to normal. I think asking that deeper spiritual question, that repentance, you know, what, what was working, what wasn't, what was glorifying God, what wasn't, is a much helpful, much more helpful way to, to consider this. Because I think we could easily go tactical. Yeah, and, and I, I think some people are going to make changes because it's simply because it's insinuated change, like it's forced so no, in other words, people have switched to an online format or something in their churches, not because they want to, or because they think it's good or better or anything like that, just because they have to. And there's, there's a kind of bitterness to that kind of insinuated change. It's forced upon us. And so I think what happens at the, at, at the end of that runway where, where change has been pushed upon you, you'll just immediately snap back to previous model because you didn't want to be doing this in the first place. So some people are changing because it's forced change. But I also think some people are changing tactically, you know, like that's the point you were making that they're thinking, okay, the context has changed. The environment has changed. Um, maybe this is a moment where we could do something a little more culturally appropriate or culturally relevant. Um, let's change with the times, you know? So, and, and I think at the heart of that is about effectiveness. So you know, it's like, if we could do something that's more effective, you know, you and I just had a conversation about a course we're doing could it be more effective if we moved it to an online format? That's just a tactical decision. And some people are going to make changes based on that. But I think it's to miss the kindness of God. You know, that's Romans 2. Like, do you not see that, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance? That actually a moment like this, it's not that it's not that the 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 pandemic or the 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 plague or or the kind of natural disaster is is God's necessarily his way of correcting us or changing us but but there is this sense that God uses these moments of shaking to help us see something we weren't seeing before and that we we were meant to see that actually we were we were not in full compliance or obedience with his heart or his spirit. And that's about repentance. It's about turning back and saying, Lord, we were wrong. We're sorry. Um, and, and we want to, we want to honor you in, in ways we weren't before because we were stuck. 
in our previous systems in certain ways. And it's not for me to say what those things are for you or your church, but surely there are some, right? I mean, surely there were some things you were doing as a church which were not fully the will or heart of God for you in the time in which you live and the context in which you work. And, and I just, I wouldn't want us to miss that, that the, 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 the freedom uh, the liberty of repentance to say, well, we were wrong and we're sorry and we're, and we're going to change, not just because it's smart or effective or because we have to, but because you want us to. And actually you're at work in this whole thing. Yeah, and I think, I think in the seeking God for the answer rather than the next tactical thing, and it, it's been interesting looking over the last few months, because it was unprecedented, because it was massive change, it's not like someone has this is the way out of this. This is what you should do. X follow X, Y, and Z. So it's, it's not only forced change, but also it should be forcing us to seek God in it. And I think the helpful thing throughout that webinar with, with all that was said from each of the contributors, I think it was that you need to work it out what it is for yourself. I think we have, there's no one size fits all that if you do this, it'll come out better. There's ways we can adapt and, and we can think about structurally how we set up going alongside the government um, <clears throat> roadmap. But I think the, that seeking God, that prayer, um, and I think it'd be, maybe it's helpful to talk about that a little bit because some of the questions that we did in, we had some follow-up learning communities after the, the webinar, which have been really helpful because it's a way for people to process, to, to think through what, uh, where they're at. And it's interesting seeing how people are approaching it in different ways. Um, but I think, and it's interesting seeing when you, we talk to some of the denominational leaders, um, there's, a, there's a kind of, um, maybe it's an unwritten thing to say that the minister's in charge, the minister should have all the answers. And there's a certain seeking and feeling pressure from those ordained ministers, from those leaders who are paid to do the job, to come up with the answers. Uh, then we see some in other churches where it is more of a team thing. And I think there's a huge opportunity here to change that culture a little bit to say, we need, we need discussion with everyone in this. Um, that We don't want a minister doing everything by themselves or a, a church leader doing everything by themselves. And we also don't want the, the congregation, the church community, to be just looking to the leader for that. And I, there were some interesting discussions about how people could do that, getting groups of people together, not just their leadership team as such, because sometimes we have a leadership team, but it doesn't need, mean it has all the leaders on it. Um, but actually having discussions with churches, whether it's in someone's garden, because we can meet outdoors, and exploring some of those questions. What are the questions? What, what questions would you say would be helpful for people to be asking? Like, I think it needs to start in prayer. You suggest on the webinar taking two, three weeks off, not do online stuff, and take time to pray and seek God. Um, would you have any kind of suggestions of how people might do that or any questions that would be helpful to, to answer together? Yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, if we think about maybe something we know how to do or we're more... Um, familiar with it's just the, the idea of confession repentance and even renunciation you know these are these are sort of powerful ideas which don't need to be quarantined or siloed out of a moment of change management you know in fact they become critical maybe they're maybe they're just sort of ancient ways of describing change management you know um, so probably everybody in your church was 
frustrated with something, you know, <laughs> or, or the, there's something about the church they wish was different. And, and I think that's a starting point and listening to those things and saying, and not, not just your own personal uh, preferences or stylistic concerns, but spiritual ones, ones that you think might be rooted in the heart of God might be like, I think we haven't been taking the Bible as seriously as we should. Or I think our discipleship doesn't go deep enough, or I think our relationships were not uh, uh, intimate enough with each other. Or I think there wasn't uh, a sincere enough culture of worship in our community. Or I think we we're not enough of us are not engaged in meaningful mission, seeing the boundaries of the kingdom expand. Those feelings are out there. I mean, those, those sensations of maybe we're not quite where we're meant to be, which should come out of our reading of scripture, but it's also just existential. It's just our experience in the church. You know, we, and then, and then, and then almost in every church, there's some person with a prophetic gift. Like they actually, God has given them the ability to, notice these things. And sometimes that person with a prophetic gift can be difficult or pushed aside because they don't always, the package in which they deliver that, that, that word or that idea is not always mature or sensitive or, uh, you know, fully formed. Um, but this is a moment I think for listening, um, not, not just vertically like God in prayer, but listening to each other, like what were the things we want, we wished we could have changed about the church before this all started? And let's talk about that. Just because you say it doesn't mean we're going to change it. But but this is a moment where we could make some serious changes. So where where did you sense that God we were sort of less than living up to God's best or His hope for His church? And if if you cannot come up with a list of those things, I, I seriously doubt your the integrity of your faith you know if you can if you can't confess your sins i mean that's just a simple idea just if we say oh everybody's imperfect i know that and, and so even if if we sat down simon and i was like let's confess our sins to each other and you're like well yeah. you know i really can't think of any for myself that's a problem <laughs> you know if i if i if i can't reach out immediately in my own mind and think yeah i can i can tell you sort of my top four or five things that I, I know displease God in my life, in my mind, whatever. That some, something's not right about our, our relationship with God and our relationship with scripture. And so, yeah, can, what, can we just confess our sins? <laughs> it's interesting using those words because I think it, it would be much easier to say what's wrong with our church or yeah. what wasn't working. And we come up with the, you know, the, the simple stylistic things. But actually when you, when you use those words confession like I spend a week thinking about what do we need to confess about what do we need to think about our church then another week thinking about how do we repent of that what does that look like how do we do that is it are we writing stuff down are we meeting together and then the renunciation you know how do we then say well how do we stop certain things how do yeah. we decide exactly. this wasn't good and that process is really helpful and it makes it a spiritual process not just a tactical process of let's answer these questions and come up with the answers yeah, and a lot of that is built into maybe a more secular understanding of leadership or change. And I just think it's one of the maybe, um, I don't know, downsides of, of the secularization of our, our leadership ideas and leadership culture. So we, we understand what it means to say cast a vision, let's say, for what the church should be or where it should go. Um, 
and e- and even and even understanding what we we're not going to do you know deciding like this is this isn't the way we want to go we want to go this other way but then we've lost that that sort of deeper richer ancient understanding that these things come from our uh, correction so like yeah if we confess our sins that's first recognize them name them confess them repent which is that beautiful greek word metanoia you know like change your mind change your mind so say actually we were doing this that isn't right and we need to work we should not be doing that you know we should be doing something else this other thing and then even even a, a like a powerful almost almost uh kind of i don't know spiritual or kind of word like renunciation like say we're not going to do that anymore like we used to do this and we renounce that we say we're not gonna we're no longer going to do this and for me that's a that's that's vision casting that's 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 how you lead people that's how you uh you know build coalition that's how you solidify uh commitment to something as you say this isn't right and and we're going to do the opposite we're going to do this other thing we're going to create a, a new kind of world where this this other this this thing we think is wrong isn't done anymore um it's powerful change language you know that's ours it's 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 rooted in our tradition in our faith in our in the lord that we uh whose teachings we are supposed to follow so that's right there for us and and i and again i i don't mean to say that in a way that's sort of like i don't know um just leadership you know approach or something I, i i think this is this is the way god means for us to lead his people is through repentance through correction submission humility like there's a deep humility in a moment like this to say we were wrong about some things and isn't that good you know isn't that shouldn't we always carry that 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 openness to being wrong yeah yeah i think you know as people hear this or think about well how do i have the time to take the opportunity to do this i'm busy learning online stuff and putting it online on things and i think people have maybe got into a rhythm of doing it now and some people are finding themselves freed from doing it because they do something during the week and have more time to do something else on a Sunday or they have a discussion on a Sunday in groups after people have listened to the talk and so people are being creative in that but there is a there's an unwritten pressure to say you have to produce all this stuff online whereas during this time it would be really helpful to say we're not going to do stuff for two weeks and we're going to spend time doing these things or three weeks we're going to look at those three words over three weeks and I think for the the future of the church, that would be a far more useful time than I would guess by doing a few online things, you know, fair enough. You do some online gatherings or community things, whatever it might be, but taking the time to do that because you're right. Once things get back to normal, whenever that is, whatever that looks like, even if it's not um, normal as we remember it, there still is the going back to let's just do church again. Um, And we miss that moment of uncontested change, we miss that moment where it's easier to make the change. And I think the idea of doing this, not just yourself as a church leader, or even just as your leadership team going, how do we think about these three things, but actually involving the whole church in it, suddenly uh, change is much more possible. Um, no, I mean, it, it, it would be Pandora's box a little bit. I mean, if you open up to the whole church, they're, you know, feeling some yeah, disgruntled or whatever. Hate. But don't be afraid of that, you know, and especially if... 
if if really the 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 goal is to hear God, you know, it's to like, Lord, what are you saying to us, and what have you been trying to say to us, and we want to listen closely, you know, and, it, and maybe the most cantankerous, annoying person in your church, uh, who's always telling you what they don't like about the church, man, don't don't uh, overlook that person completely, you know. There there's there may be. I hate to say it, but there may be something in there that you've always been meant to hear. Uh, that's part of the struggle uh, with repentance. So somehow it's a balance as a church leader or a church leadership team. Somehow you have to balance that listening to people, uh, but not giving up your role as a facilitator and even leader of that process. You know, um, and if enough of your people are kind of reiterating the same yearning, um, you have to take that very seriously as if maybe that is God speaking to you and to your community. Um, but it's not like they suddenly get to tell you all the things you're meant to change. And if you don't do it, you know, they're going to be mad. It really is about discerning God somehow. Yeah, it is. And, and it's, it's bringing it back to that. It's a spiritual process, not a tactical process. And it's taking time to pray during that time to pause for a moment to be led differently, to be reading a passage of scripture and taking time to do that. And I think once it's it's set up like that, which we generally don't set up our church meetings like, then it changes the the dynamic, it changes the way we we do it. Um just uh one thought, you may have more to say on the, on that other stuff, but I was just thinking a little bit in one of the learning communities we had a discussion about, you know, what would the church look like going forward and, and how would you have some of these discussions with the church? And maybe it's thinking beyond even those three words, but but thinking about, I remember being asked as a kid, you know, what would your dream house be? And you draw the picture and you draw the swimming pool and the swings and all those things. And a, a vague memories of being asked if it was in Sunday school or somewhere where you asked to draw your ideal picture of church with your swimming pool and your swings and all those things. Same. But if we have the, uh, if we have the opportunity to nearly start with a clean page, what, what would we put down in that? And I don't know if you've thoughts on how you'd hope, I, I've one or two things, but how you'd hope the church would change out of this. Like what were you things, like for me, one thing you mentioned there earlier, listening to the prophetic or listening to those people, I've definitely seen the priesthood of all believers being recognized more. People going, actually there's people with gifts here that we didn't realize and they've come to the fore now because they're good at change, they're good at being creative. Um, and there seems to be more acceptance of actually that person who was never a leader because they never spoke at the front or led worship or did kids stuff has something to say in this time. So I think that's a real thing I'd love to see develop more. I'd love to see that everyone is involved, even the the weird people with the loud voices when they give out about stuff. How do we involve them as well in this? It is about the whole church being involved. Do you have thoughts on, on how you paint a picture of the church or, or thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I, I guess I would want to um, urge us that if you do enter into like a process like that, let's say you take three weeks off and you just say, look, we're just going to pray. We're going to confess. We're going to look, look for where God wants us to make big changes. Um, a couple things I would, I would maybe try to you know, persuade you here. One, you, you, you got to push your people to root their critique or their suggestions in scripture. So it can't just be a battle of preferences or opinions because what, what we'll find is actually there will be some beautiful, cool, creative ideas and actually deeply intimate um, 
depictions of God's heart for your church, but that'll be mixed up with a lot of just opinions and, and a failure of imagination, which is like, Oh, if, if I could, if I could rebuild our church perfectly, I would make a bigger lobby, you know, or we would have tea and coffee closer to the, it's like, come on, we, we can do better than that. So th- th- we're still, we'd still be stuck. Like, you know, there would have been, a, there would have been a time where I would have thought if I could make a church the way I want, every seat would be a recliner or there would be uh there would be fountain drinks on the side or something, but you're still, you're <laughs> still stuck in, you know, an auditorium that you, you yeah. know what I mean? You're still this, the, the box is still there binding your mind. Um, so I would say, make sure that whatever changes you do make are deeply rooted in scripture. Like you're finding cause for those things in, in the canon of the, the vocabulary of God, which we've been given. And then two, I would say we do need to prioritize the, the feedback of the missional person, of the missionary person, because that's what will break us out of our mental boxes. Yeah. If we just think, oh, it would be so nice to have a green room for the musicians, you know, before and after worship, you're still just stuck in your head, you know. But if you ask the missionary person, well, how would you, what would your dream church look like? You know, maybe there would be a swimming pool in it. You know, they're imagining I work with kids with disabilities and it would be awesome to have some kind of swimming class or to have, I mean, that's, they start thinking differently. I know when we, uh, uh, you know, in, in the community that I came from, when we were thinking about actually building a new floor plan, one of the first things that came up was showers, um, because a lot of our people worked with the homeless. And, you know, one of the things that that homeless people need, particularly in a place like Florida, which is so hot, is just a, a discreet place to like, take care of yourself to, to get cleaned up. You know, and and something like a laundry facility and a private shower, private little bathroom. Uh, And that, you know, that's an example, I think, of if you were to rebuild the church from the ground up, you know, if you're just thinking about church services, that's never going to occur to you that that would be an important use of some square footage. And it's not much. You know, you could put four private showers. And it could just take up, you know, a couple of square meters. And it's not, it's not, it's not much of a charge. It's not much of a cost to us, but it could be an incredibly profound interaction with the needs of your community. And that's just one example, but you only know that if you listen to the missional person, you know, if you listen to the person whose life with God is lived mostly outside the walls of the church. So the trick here, I think, is, is not just listening to the, the suggestions or the ideas or the corrections of the people whose understanding of church is within the walls of the church. Like that's a, that's a trap, you know, for us because we could walk away thinking, oh, we've been creative, but all we've done is just kind of, uh, as they say in the South, put lipstick on a pig. You know, you just, you've just, you know, stylized uh, the same form, you know, and and I would say that's been a mistake the church has made maybe for the last several decades is we we have this we have iterations which are essentially exactly the same. It's Christendom, you know. It's a it's a sermon and some music and some interaction in a building, and that's the church. And so we can we can make the sermon cooler or shorter or longer or expositional or topical. We can make the music rock music or hip hop music or 
we can, we can make sure all the people on stage have skinny jeans or gel in their hair or whatever, but you, it's still the same guts. It's still the same skeleton of there's no, there's actually no creativity in that, but we feel we've been creative. We feel we've made some kind of changes, radical changes. So that's another caution is if you are going to take some time to think, what should we change? Don't be afraid to go deep, you know, to go what's behind that, the skeleton itself, the, the deep kind of structures and think, what about those things will we change? Yeah, I think it has to go deep. I think it, it is the opportunity to go deep. I'm just conscious of certain people maybe out there who are in a church where it's really difficult to have those conversations. They've had past experiences or past hurts or whatever has gone on. And I wouldn't want, I think it's really important that leaders take the leadership role that they've been given, that they've been given by God to lead the people in those particular communities. But I wonder for some people, maybe it would be helpful just as people are listening to go, it, it might be good for us to get some external facilitator in to help us with this discussion. Because I think an external mm -hmm. person can say things that a leader couldn't, can push buttons maybe that need to be pushed that a, a leader of the church can't. So it'd be worth considering about that. Is there scope to have someone else? It could be a friend. It could be a, a church leader from another church in the town. It could be someone much further afield. But it, maybe that would be a helpful thing as well to help ask those questions. Still leading, that leader still needs to lead those people. But at some point in those processes, it could be worth having someone help people. It could be a spiritual director doing the confessional part. It could be much more of a meditative, quiet thing as they sit in silence. It'd just be worth thinking outside the box as well, not just feeling that people go, I have to do this myself. What a great idea. I mean, what if, what, yeah, what if, I mean, surely in your town you have one other pastor who's a good friend or something like that. Maybe you just go to them and say, look, I'll do this for you if you do yeah. this for me. You know, <laughs> you could, because you're, you're the outside objective voice, presumably, and, and you don't have a, you don't have an ax to grind or, um, but yeah, what, what a cool idea, even to do that for each other, you know, to find someone to say, look, will you do this for me? Will you help lead a listening mm -hmm. exercise? And then just tell us what you hear, you know, um, because you don't feel the same biases that we feel. And then, and then you go do it for, for their church, like as, a, as an exchange. Yeah. That's a great idea. Any other, just any other points on maybe future of the church? I think just two others that's, that's kind of spring to mind that I'd love to see continue. You mentioned technology earlier. I think it's amazing how quick people have adapted. And also there is that force change you mentioned earlier where you just have to use it because there's no choice. But there are certain people who are going, actually, this is a good thing. We can do a huge amount more with this. People have been creative with Instagram, doing Bible studies, um, you know, linking in with stuff online. And I do hope that that technology part will, will stick with it because I think there's a lot of people outside of the church engaging and seeing the church differently. And if we cut that off, then I think we, we limit those um, possibilities as well. And I think even, even thinking within the church world, it just the, the opportunity that we've had to link together, learning communities, webinars, prayer meetings across churches, suddenly geography, anything else is, isn't a boundary anymore. We can suddenly just meet online. We can do stuff quickly. I'd love to see that continue on and i think technology provides that link and that connection and that networking um that is so important in the church to see unity so i'd love to see that kind of stuff um continue on as well yeah i mean technology is a it's always been kind of a double-edged sword you know i think it gives us something and what it gives us man it really gives that to us in a way we couldn't have imagined but but you know i think we need to be ready for the the deficiencies that that will also produce 
uh, going forward and, 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 and think, think ahead for how we will be ready to deal with that. And to, but to me, what, what's, what's most profound about this, this quick pivoting to technology I think that's great. I think it's, I'm glad we're doing that. It's obviously useful for the kingdom, but, but to me the the more important reality there is just that we can change. I, actually the meta narrative yeah. behind the, this quick pivoting towards technology is, is, you know what, we're not so inept at change as we thought we were, you know, actually when, when we have a mind to do it, uh, even old dogs can learn new tricks, you know, like people, you know, there are people we probably in our minds right now, we just think in a bajillion years, they would never be doing some kind of live Instagram videos or something and they're doing them. So what does that tell you? It tells you it's possible. Like there are other changes out there too, that we can embrace and we don't have to be afraid and you can do it. You know, you can do it. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's helpful. And while people are in the mind of thinking about change, this is the time to be thinking about the deeper change and the bigger questions yes. there is that it's not just about how do i understand zoom or teams or skype but actually how do i address <laughs> the bigger things uh, within the church because because that because the way technology works you know something like moore's law or whatever the way technology works it will change too so it's just when you think you've figured out facebook live that's no longer the tool yeah you know what i mean so even that is it's a it's a slippery slope to think, okay, good. I finally have some competency in tech. No, you don't, because I promise you, it will change. And that, that I mean, I, I I can remember learning how to 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 code and write Flash yeah. websites. You remember Flash? That was like a thing for a while. That was cool. That's a worthless skill now. Totally worthless skill. <laughs> so it's it's not so much learning how to become competent in a particular technology, but it's just this idea that that we yeah. can learn, you know, the skill of learning and we're, we're not as bad as we thought. I think if I, if I have one last thought, it's just um, something to do with making meaning of all of this. You know, I think probably one of the primary gifts that a leader can give in something like this, um, especially when it's experienced as suffering, you know, I just, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the racial unrest in my own country yeah. right now. And just aside from the, the demonic stronghold of racism, um, it's just, it's just beating people up, you know, like particularly black people in America, they're just, they just, they're just continually wronged, not just by the, the experience of racism that they have, but, but just kind of this collective um trauma essentially that it is and it just makes me think of some someone like a victor frankel you know talking about meaning uh being the the way in which we can survive great suffering whatever our suffering is like if if we if we don't have a way of understanding how it means something for us we can grow from it or god's at work or there's some greater story um we're we'll just we will just despair we will utterly despair um and you know so maybe maybe to some degree covid and some of these other things are similar um so that there's a there's a 20th century english 
writer, a guy called E.M. Forrester, who has a lovely, wonderful way of describing uh, the difference between a story and a plot. So I think he says, like, you know, uh, a story is something like this. The, the king died, and then the queen died. That's a story. That's events. That's sequence, right? He says that that's a story, but a plot is the king died, and then the queen died of grief. A plot is a because. It's, a, it's, it's understanding why. A plot is more than just the king dies, the queen dies. It's, it's a love story. You know, the, the king dies and the queen dies because she loved him, because she couldn't go on living without him. It's, it's everything to understand the events, the why, the because of the events. And right now is no time for Christian leaders to lose the plot, mm-hmm. you know, to actually be able to tell the difference between these events are happening. We can see that and we could regurgitate that or repeat that to the world. This is happening. Sure. But what does it mean? And particularly as we, as we understand the arc of history and the hand of God through history, what is the plot here? <laughs> you know, um, And we of all people, I think, have to be at least trying to describe the plot, that God is at work even in the most difficult times of our lives and the most difficult times of our society. Um, he, he will be heard. He will be known. He will be seen in the fullness of time and history. And he has made promises to us. You know, I was thinking the other day with some leaders about Hebrews 12, you know, and we, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And, and the line before that, which is like, and, and, and God has said, once again, I will shake the earth. So like, I'm going to mess some stuff up, you know, uh, like shake the foundations and some things will break once again. Like, in other words, I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. But you, the writer of Hebrews says, you are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's like this invisible reality. That's the plot. You know, the story is stuff is shaking, stuff is breaking. But the plot is, but you are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, this invisible reality. And so I think, I think if I remember correctly, I think the writer then says, so be thankful and worship God. Even in the midst of like really bad times, we can be full of thankfulness because of this invisible kingdom which we are receiving. So Christian leaders, Christian, you know, pastors, whatever, church, church people, get a hold of the plot. You know, uh, we have to be telling the, the invisible story, the thing which we are still receiving even in the midst of the, the, the garbage. It's a really helpful way to end, Brian, to be reminded that it's beyond us. It's, it's, it's bigger than us that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and to be thankful. Uh, thank you for um, uh, for sharing that, uh, particularly at the end. Uh, good to chat, and uh, thank you. You've been listening to Mission Disco, a podcast by Praxis Movement. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like, or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or online at praxismovement.com.